0: Hi and welcome to the Machine Ethics Podcast. This month I'm talking with Rob McCargo, Director of AI at PwC. I met up with Rob at the PwC office in London and we chatted about modeling unintended consequences, AI ethics audits, working with dubious companies and intentions, what we should be teaching our children and future careers, a recipe for AI future mitigating job displacement and other AI for good topics. If you like this podcast, then check out the other episodes at machine-ethics.net, or you can contact us at hello at machine-ethics.net. You can find us at Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. If you'd like to support the podcast, then go to patreon.com forward slash machine where you'll find extended interviews, reviews, and more of my thoughts on the episodes and AI topics and news of the month. Thanks again to Rob, and hope you enjoy. Um, hi, Rob. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Um, Could you introduce yourself and what do you do?
1: Absolutely. So uh, I'm the uh, Director of Artificial Intelligence at uh, PwC in the UK. Uh, So our team is basically tasked with uh, applying the technology across the breadth of our organisation on both internal projects, but also working with our clients across all industry sectors on solving some of their hardest business problems as well using different forms of AI. A, lo- a lot of the other things I'm involved with uh, also involve uh, working with governments around the world on the impact on national strategy and policy and uh, as part of that I sit on the advisory board of the all-party parliamentary group on, on AI amongst other appointments.
0: Yes so it's been said that you're the nicest man in AI. How do you feel about that? Well,
1: it Depends who said it. To be honest, it's the first time I've heard it.
0: Um, it, it was, it's endearing, <laughs> <laughs> an endearment. Um, so, uh, on that point, uh, Rob, to you, kind of, what is AI? When you're talking about AI, what, what are you talking about uh, more specifically?
1: Well, I think it depends on the, uh, the the audience that we're dealing with at the time, and uh, if we're working uh, with clients across different uh, corporate functions across HR for example and, uh, and compliance maybe we don't necessarily get into a deep deepest of technological descriptions but for me I think it's a high level uh, to differentiate from technology of old technology that falls into the AI domain of technologies that can sense think act and through an iterative feedback loop learn and uh, They clearly sit as interesting bedfellows along more mature technologies, such as robotic process automation, for example. But we try to focus across the breadth of the main AI technologies. But if I'm being candid, the very first thing I do in any of these things is uh, state that uh, I keep the job title to get me into the room. But the first thing I do is say, AI doesn't really exist. We have this assembly of really interesting technologies that underpin it from machine learning and deep learning to natural language processing and generation and other techniques. Uh, that make up this AI family. Yeah. So, so, so
0: the AI of the kind of science fiction doesn't exist necessarily, but you've got this kind of suite of things which go under that banner at the moment. Indeed. Yeah. yeah great. And uh, we, we were talking briefly before, but kind of how does um, PWC fit in with this? Um, how they're talking about AI and and uh, what they're doing in AI, I guess as well.
1: Well, I think where we're at now is we've seen amazing breakthroughs of the technology in um, in consumer use cases in use cases of uh, fascinating utility but not necessarily uh, huge amounts of consequence uh, on people's lives. So there's fantastic things being served up through either maps or movie recommendation engines uh, and and all sorts of uh, e-commerce types of applications. I think where we're starting to see uh, businesses in for example heavily regulated industries healthcare, financial services, banking, insurance etc Uh, criminal justice starting to wrestle with this technology realizing that this has a profound impact on their business they have to get moving on starting to embrace and adopt but by doing so this opens up this whole cupboard of uh, new risks uh, which I'm sure we'll get into over the course of the conversation today so for us I think because we're already working with just about every organization across the the, across the land in some capacity either auditing or or advising them in some capacity uh, we're often on site there as the trusted advisor to help Debunk some of the mythology, provide the right level of comfort and confidence around the tech and allow yeah. them to get started and start moving at pace with the innovation offered by AI.
0: So I see you a lot at these sorts of conversations, um, like you mentioned, the, the kind of what happens when you have these um, sorts of technologies in those places, in healthcare, in the justice system. Um, are there some like top level um, I mean obviously this machine ethics forecast and we talk a lot about these sorts of things Um, is there some of the things which you're keen on like things that you are uh, interested in talking about in terms of those sorts of ethical issues?
1: Yeah I mean I I think um, I'll be more led by the Uh, you know the the explosion in these events that I get the privilege to go and speak at and and I think judging by the Q&A after them the two areas that seem to elicit by some considerable distance the most Mm. interest and the most uh, uh, inquiry uh, first of all I think is around the impact on the workforce through automation uh, through human machine interaction and uh, through the whole education skills and uh, future proofing of careers yeah. I think that's one big category that always uh, creates a huge amount of interest and then uh, anything else that falls into that AI ethics bucket mm-hmm. is again of significant interest and uh, uh, and that's for me is uh, is a fascinating area uh, and as we start seeing uh, this starting to scale in, in these use cases of significant consequence mm-hmm. uh, this brings a whole level of interest across the breadth of different corporate functions to make sure that People are fully conversant with the, uh, the implications on their business.
0: Yeah, so you think it's really important that those business leaders are uh, appreciate the technology and they might not have a low level understanding, but if they're going to apply it, then they better well know what they're applying, basically.
1: Yeah, this, this, this is now an absolute necessity rather than a nice to have. This is a fundamental prerequisite for an uh, for a, for a executive a C-suite member of a board, for example. Um, because these specific use cases will more often not rear their head in their departments. And I think the one that uh, I I, I found very interesting to... to Look at and make sure that we're clearly focused on uh, some of the the HR applications. Mm-hmm. Uh, you and I monitor this, uh, the press and the media quite a bit around keeping up to date on what's happening. And the ones that seem to constantly rear their heads mm-hmm. on on so, social media, where yep. we first met, I think um, are uh, are those sort of ones around uh, recruitment through human performance type of uh, monitoring mm-hmm. systems. And uh, as a consequence, you know, people like HR directors absolutely have to get to grips with this technology and quickly.
0: Yeah, or, uh, and there's some stories there of how that's been negative or like done, not necessarily um, really badly, but like in a, in a kind of good and evil sort of way, but like dubiously something that maybe we don't want to promote as a thing. And there's the Amazon example comes to mind about having, uh, you know, promoting men in their CV, uh, machine learning um, tactics and things like that, because of past biased data and this sort of thing. Um, so it's really about getting around that sort of um, mis- misunderstanding, maybe not like malicious use, but like stupidity in, in these high stakes uh, arenas. When you yeah,
1: I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big believer that the substantial majority of people configuring and deploying these systems are coming in with the best of intentions, yeah. with, with, with good values more often than not. But um, we, we, I think we, we see where they don't always work out well. They don't always lead to the best outcomes. They often can lead to amplification of bias and discrimination for example and uh, typically affecting vulnerable groups of stakeholders or, or customers is it, often because um, th- there's not been the right mixture of people in the room to provide the right level of challenge uh, and I think on the one hand we are very well aware that there's a substantial issue around the homogeneity of the workforce you know it, it's very well noted that it's extremely uh, white and male which uh, there's a lot of great corporate initiatives uh, including some of ours to try to address that imbalance but I think I'm also looking at the disciplinary homogeneity as well and uh, it's absolutely critical to have the right people in the room to give that level of challenge and, uh, and that go no go power of veto yeah. and uh, for example when we're ever configuring a, a specific use case in, in our team we'll always make sure we have the right subject matter experts in the room and, and even beyond that in fact um, I've been talking about ethics in AI in business for, for quite a number of uh, years now and I thought I'd better actually take some uh, action on this. In fact, we've just hired our first AI ethicist to the team a few mm-hmm. months ago. Cool. Who we, we know with the level of rigour we face as, a, as an organisation and scrutiny, we, we know that uh, we're confident that we meet the highest standards around data security and privacy, around regulatory compliance. Around, uh, around, uh, you know, the, the whole issues of risk and quality, um, but specifically with regards to ethics, uh, that that need to now think through not just secondary but tertiary mm. unintended consequences is, is now critical. That giving people that power and freedom to explore, investigate, uh, model, and challenge, mm. I think it is something really, uh, really valuable now, and uh, and that's uh, you know. Given us that interesting new type of job. People like keep talking about the yeah. jobs of the future. Well, we've just created, you know, a new one for our organisation to prove it's going to happen.
0: Yeah. Well, that's great. Are they? What's their kind of remit? Is it kind of like futurizing, or is it more like um, philosophy? Or it can mean lots of things to different people. Yeah. Let,
1: let's let's try to uh, land it in in, in the, the real life uh, world of what's expected. Yeah. They it, it, exactly. That's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Let, let, let me try and land it in in, in, in with with the kind of reality of what's happening on the ground I mean mm. clearly uh, we have the, the opportunity to meet up at these fora uh, meet the world-class academics and philosophers yeah. and ethicists working on this and uh, you know it's, it's fascinating I've learned a lot in recent years but if you're sitting there in, 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 the, in business making rapid mm. decisions to drive profit or uh, to, to reduce cost or future-proof the organisation there's maybe not the same minutia of deliberation that happens and if you think about ethics specifically, with of course, in this explosion of uh, publication of new ethical principles in the last two years, in particular, mm-hmm. I think at the last count we'd uh, we'd come across in excess of seventy. Right. If you add together the big tech companies, the, um, the you know the, the World Economic Forum, the IEEE, um, the Beijing Principles, adding all these together,
0: yeah.
1: you've got a, a lot of uh, material out there, and. Uh, reality of business is going to be able to read all of those and discern which one is most appropriate for their particular geography and setting yep. and uh, and act accordingly. And so what what we what we have is, uh, uh, we, we actually have read all of these, we got a whole team on it and uh, went through yeah. with a fine tooth comb and, and uh, built effectively a traceability matrix. So what we can now be able to say to clients through um, what we call our responsible AI approach mm-hmm. is, okay, We feel that we've put the right governance in place around the project. Um, It's had the right uh, uh, approach in terms of uh, identification and de-biasing of of, data sets prior to training. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're confident that uh, it's appropriately uh, scrutinized from a security and privacy perspective. And for this particular use case, um, it's got the appropriate level of interpretability and explainability. Now, moving beyond that, we can say it's got this relatively clean bill of health with some caveats um, to give you the confidence to move forward. Now there's a conscious decision to make as a leadership team uh, running these projects to say, what do we optimise this solution for? Is it to maximise profit and performance? Is there a trade-off to be made that allows you to drive even further transparency into the system? Uh, and you want to then optimise for fairness. And the fairness debate is mm. fascinating. I think even more fascinating than ethics. Um, there, there was a, a piece of work, and I'll, maybe Suf could uh, share the, the the link so you can share with mm, your readers. Sure. We, we did a piece on this. And we found that um, fairness is uh, something that's constantly raised in all of these ethical principle documents. Yeah. Um, and the very high-level ones are all very laudable. And they say, you know, ethics, sorry, AI should be... Uh, uh, benevolent. It should be good for humanity. Mm-hmm. It should be transparent. It should be fair and equitable, etc., etc. Yes,
0: yeah.
1: uh, when you get to fairness, there's in excess of twenty mathematical definitions of fairness. So, if you then just take that, so who's it fair to? Yeah, you can't be fair universally to every single person in society. Yeah, therefore, do you have to define? who it's fair to. Yes. So, so when you get into those sort of conversations, you can really make sure that the, the projects are proceeding with um, that level of rigour of conversation, uh, certainty buy-in, and a conscious choice around what the project is is optimised to do. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they're the sort of things that, that our own ethicists will, will, will have the ability to, to shape and steer those conversations for our own projects and our clients that we work with
0: the fairness thing is really interesting i think that come, that's uh part of the ethical conversation because what you know like the the morality of an individual like what is fairness to you and what is that actually what are we actually talking about when we say fairness is a really interesting point if if a, a company came to you and went oh this is all great but we're actually trying to optimize for um you know the the outcome the the monetary return and actually maybe fairness is not higher on our agenda what sorts of Conversations do you have there? It's uh, yeah. quite difficult. I mean,
1: I, I don't. I don't think. I don't think we've had them like that yet. Okay. But I think yeah. it's an interesting question to raise hypothetically as, uh, as, as the market becomes more sophisticated. I think there's two things there. I think um, that there there may well get to the point where there's certain use cases and applications that that is simply not appropriate to go near. Mm-hmm. Um, there's certain industries that uh, might be more. Difficult than others to, to work with, but I think we also have to respect the fact that um, to attract the very best talent, the best talent want to be uh, applying their skills to the uh, the, the you know the, the appropriate use cases. And with that in mind, giving people the the, the right to to not have to t- partake in certain projects is, is something I think we have to get entirely comfortable with. Yeah. So and we've seen this, haven't we, in the last year with uh, outbreaks of uh, employee activism, mm-hmm. um, which I think is, is something which organisations need to take into account around uh, what they want to be aligned with doing.
0: Yeah, and, it, and it's, um, I mean, for me, it's lo- it's laudable that people are taking these sorts of actions uh, in the face of um, things which go against their principles, their, you know, internal. Uh, I spoke to one of those people uh, not so long ago, actually, um, who, um, Jack Polson, I don't know if you know. Yeah, him? I know of, yeah. Um, yeah. Who, who quit Google because of the, um, the arms stuff And one was the one of the first people to do so, and then there was uh, all this action afterwards. So, uh, it's an interesting thing that's happening where people are starting to take notice of how these technologies are applied and uh, uh, when it's appropriate to do so. Do you have any kind of like hardline ideas of what maybe isn't appropriate or? I mean, that specific.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think we've uh, got the point where it's kind of like a no. you know a, a, a list of no go no go. I mean mm. personally, there's things that I, uh, you know, don't feel comfortable with morally. Whether yep. that's Thomas' weapons, for example. Yep. Um, Are those conversa-
0: I mean, coming back to that's a uh, good point. Coming back to your conversations that you might have in government um, with the APPG AI, do you have these sorts of conversations about? Um, I mean, obviously, the general AI conversation is being had there, um, but do you have the kind of robo-ethics conversation about where when isn't it appropriate to use these sorts of technologies uh, at the moment with the the government?
1: You you know what, I I think the thing that uh, actually uh, gives me a lot of optimism and uh, and, and professional pride for working in this part of the world around this topic is uh, that we've got a really quite sophisticated community that's uh, been active now for... The best part of say two and a half years or so. Um, so coming from the all-party group, I've been on the advisory board of that since the start. That's then led through to the uh, you know the uh, the publication and the and the, the evidence taking of the um, uh, House of Lords Select Committee with with, with Lord Clement Jones, uh, the the uh, AI review with with Dame Wendy Hall, and Jerome Pacenti, and then now onto the AI sector deal, which is now led to this proliferation of new uh, activities and the Centre for Data Ethics Innovation, Mm -hmm. uh, the Government Office, you know, we've seen a huge array of, uh, of quite tangible progress in the last two and a half years. Uh, And for me that, I lost count of the number of times I've been in Parliament, Mm -hmm. you know, hearing or giving evidence, uh, in excess of 30 maybe in the last couple of years. (coughs) And yeah, we've absolutely covered the the broad spread of topics from regulation and, uh, you know, Geographical uh, prominence and academia, skills, education, mm-hmm. ethics the, the whole panoply of, uh, of topics—I think it has been well well looked into. And uh, some of these more contentious ones absolutely are are there. Yeah. So you know, in defence of politicians, mm-hmm. um, it's easy to I guess sweep it all up and say. I think I saw a tweet yesterday saying politicians don't get this. I actually reject that because mm-hmm. I think I think. Um, a number of individual ones that I've had the, the privilege of, uh, of working with that uh, mm-hmm. have actually got a really good grasp of this. Um, so I think, it's, I think it's a case of lumping everyone in the same bucket here.
0: Yeah, nice. Great. Um... Uh, I was going to ask what the outcomes were, but I think you've nicely kind of um, outlined that.
1: Well, I think mean, I think, um, I think we, as I say, not only have we seen the, the launch of the, uh, the the AI sector deal as part of the industrial strategy, and the launch of these new bodies, um, you know, so the Centre for Data Ethics have now you know published their interim findings on a couple of key areas, uh, algorithmic bias, I think, and criminal justice. Um, I think the other thing is is how this now translates to the uh, the, the international picture, and. Uh, uh, some of the best practice, I think, mm. that we've started to put in place here, uh, I think is being looked at with interest by a number of countries I get to go and visit as well, and, mm. uh, and seeing how they can learn from how the UK is doing this. So yeah. I think in terms of outcomes, in terms of international influence, I think it's been pretty well received yeah. on that particular area.
0: So it's kind of a leadership role there um, that people are taking note of. Will it be something that, if we put in together regulation in that way, that people also take note of that?
1: Well, quite possibly and, and uh, I mean, taking AI out of the, AI out of the equation, mm. um, our legislative system and uh, you know, the legal profession is uh, looked at by many parts of the world as, uh, as exemplar mm. and uh, many uh, you know, disputes are settled here, for example. So if we can map that across to AI, then yes, there's a good chance that mm. does become uh, one of the international benchmarks that people will try to, uh, to ape around yeah. the world.
0: Awesome, you did a TED talk a few years ago now? Two years ago now? Yeah, it's probably,
1: probably approaching two years, a year and a yeah. half maybe, yeah.
0: Yeah, um, and in that talk you you talk about your children and, and, and that's very high on the agenda of the talk it's, and that's how you tell the story of um, what AI should be doing um, in a positive way um, and you kind of glossed over this uh, question but what is it that we should be teaching our children um, you know, going forward in this, uh, to, for the future.
1: Yeah, I'm conscious <laughs> that I didn't uh, dispense uh, specific tangible exactly, advice at the yes, end of that. Yeah. I guess we only have like 17 or 18 minutes to shoehorn it all in and uh, the time flew on that talk actually, but um, I I've, I've I think about this a, a huge amount uh, and uh, I think the, the thing I'm settling on is watching my kids now grow up and the, mm-hmm. the 9 and 8 and, and 3 now, it is there's so many of these reports we see dropping on a often weekly, monthly basis. Uh, you know, there's going to be an explosion in the growth of, uh, explosion growth in the need for data scientists or engineers. Yeah. Get more people coding and programming. You know, we're going to see exponential growth in this for a while yet. So, mm. although forget all that, we need to now focus on the liberal arts and soft skills and mm-hmm. get people mm-hmm. focused on fle- cognitive flexibility and emotional intelligence because the machines can't ape that. And
0: yeah.
1: you know, there's 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 plenty of. Uh, uh, arguments on both sides of the equation I think what I'm increasingly getting to the point of is just ensuring that they have an absolute joy of learning full stop whatever it is to a certain extent it doesn't matter I think maybe mm. there are some core skills that uh, are always useful and whether it's uh, literacy and numeracy of course mm-hmm. don't debate that at all but, but um, the, the whole point of this is that the, the format and the assembly of careers in the future is going to radically change we, we we have done some research around that, which I can talk about. But whether it's um, you know x percent of jobs that change or you know a y percent, I think we can be certain that people's career paths are going to look very different. And one of the key requirements is not just um, education, but this whole concept of learning how to learn. And you're only going to want to continue to learn how to learn if you love learning. Yeah. Uh, and being able to very comfortably pivot and adapt and change course at the drop of a hat, I think is just going to be part of the course for the workforce in the future. Yeah. Um, so to a certain extent, I'm not being prescriptive by trying to force them down a path. Uh, I, I'm just trying to invigorate and, uh, and uh, celebrate you know, anything that they seem to thrive off that mm-hmm. particular month and uh, I'm not trying to sort of force them down a certain path because I think uh, anyone that gives a, a very firm forecast uh, about what's going to be in high demand in ten, funny, fifteen years time. Uh, yeah. I, I think uh, yeah, they're, they're smarter people than me.
0: Right. Okay. Come on. Just to, uh, we'll, we'll
1: do a bet on it. And well, the throwaway line I, I use is, uh, is is simply that we know that uh, AI and uh, and some of these techniques they, they do struggle with uh, British sarcasm. Aha, uh-huh. So nice people that can help and, and genuinely, you know, there's another study mm. I think, but. By another organization, I think, looked at this that sort of uh, you know, AI explainer role how, how to embed and imbue technology with common sense and a right. real world interpretation. Yeah, so it gets it, and it uh, all
0: falls down when you, you're faced with the, the kind of like hard English, um, flat comedy. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> exactly like, right. Yeah, I'm not sure what they're talking about. Um, great, <laughs> so we're, we're okay for now. Anyway. I think so. But, yeah. yeah, I've got a way to go. Yeah. <laughs> So um, you talked briefly about um, the workforce and and that sort of thing in this conversation we're having about maybe how that's going to change in the future given, you know, um, the educational piece. Is there there like a stark headline that you see there? Or is it just kind of like, you know, over the last couple of um, tens of years, there's jobs that have never been known before. Like, um, I used to be a web designer. That wasn't a thing, you know, 30 years ago. And um, uh, data science wasn't a thing um, more than 10 years ago. So um, we get these new jobs um, or new uh, labels, maybe, on jobs. Um, is is there some new jobs that are going to come in and, and everything's going to be fine? Or is there going to be this kind of precipice, maybe, that, um, and, and that's normally the news angle that is getting the attention?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I'll start with the stark headlines and then... Walk back a bit and mm-hmm. get into the nuance, which the headlines never cater for, do they? Yeah, uh, so, so the headlines. I think um, if you look at the, uh, the 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 most stark headlines around this, um, probably the the most influential report around this was the uh, the guy, the Frey Osborne guys at Oxford mm-hmm. University, who posited that forty seven percent of jobs could be uh, disrupted and removed by the work from the workforce in the. 2035 time horizon. Mm-hmm. Uh, the OECD's own figures suggest it could be a lot lower. let's say 14. Uh, percent The PwC analysis we, we launched last year suggests uh, we split the difference a bit and think it's about 30% of existing jobs. Yeah. Now there's so many caveats to this, of course. First of all, significant variance across gender, sector, educational attainment, geography, to start with. Mm-hmm. Then you're looking at the, the other side of the equation, which is around what AI we believe uh, does in terms of driving the economy. So another study we launched, which in, was incorporated into the, uh, the government's uh, industrial strategy, was uh, looking at the, the economic impact of AI. So we did a, a global study and broke that down by the UK, which uh, suggests that AI through first of all driving productivity growth but also through driving down the costs of goods and services and um uh, hyper-personalizing those services um sees this consumption boost as well so the headline figure there was so we felt that by 2030 ai could add an additional 15.7 trillion us dollars to the world mm-hmm. economy in that time frame um in the uk we think it adds about 10% to gdp by 2030 so so if you have this uh fairly substantial economic boost as well that uh, that feeds through. We think that that as it drives down the cost of goods and services, it also drives up labour demand. Mm -hmm. So whilst you see certain roles dissembling and re-aggregating together with uh, a a new collection of different tasks um, and then driven by this economic growth, uh, this new category of job potentially starts coming through. So we think that if that happens and you see profound adaptations to the education system and you see employers for example and uh, and different institutions um, hardwiring this lifelong learning approach into uh, into people throughout their career, not just at the start of their educational cycle. Um, we think we could mitigate and, and in fact um, uh, neutralise job displacement with job creation. There's many people that poo-poo that, they think uh, that it's uh, uh, going to be uh, much more apocalyptic than that, or it's not going to happen, it'll be the same as previous revolutions. But mm-hmm. there's so many caveats in that, and there's not much time on our side to start making those generational changes. Mm-hmm. So, so overall, it's kind of like this uh, possibility of moderate optimism about this. At the same time, as potentially um, the uh, imp- improving work, removing drudgery, removing risk and danger from jobs, the reassembly mm-hmm. of highly cognitive tasks, and uh, and, uh, just making work good for for Mm. larger numbers of people, hey, this can be debated all day long. I think um, where we get to also is uh, this uh, other interesting debate around the shape of jobs in the future, about where they're housed in the economy. And uh, something that we we had some fun doing last year was uh, creating what we felt were four distinct worlds of work. In fact, I've got a quiz, you might want to share it with you guys as well. Um, You know, could you see, corporates growing in strength so they have effectively bigger GDP than many small and mid-sized con- uh, countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you see um, uh, you know, this massive disaggregation of corporates into a platform economy where the entire employee base is, uh, is you know, on, on a contingent workforce basis, mm-hmm. zero-hour contracts effectively? Uh, do you see companies pushing much more into societal good? and focused on purpose and environmental contribution uh, so so you know did you see these different directions of travel and the way that people therefore are engaged changes from simply the, the nine to five permanent job contract uh, forever and a day uh, and uh, it resorts the entire workforce economy on the back of that so huge topics up for debate around this and uh, uh, and the people that attempt to be too precise to put a finer point on it. I think uh, sometimes don't always listen to the, the prevailing disagreement on the other side mm-hmm. of the fence. And I, I simply say, I think increasingly over time, I've, I've decided to become far less specific with my future gazing and simply boil it down to substan- substantial change is going to come. It might not happen mm-hmm. next year, but big change will come because big change has always come off the back of uh, of industrial revolutions. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have a conscious decision about how we uh, protect people in that process, mm-hmm. and uh, and that is both the uh, responsibility of governments of employers and to an extent individuals as well to be ups- uh, prepared and upskilled and aware of this seismic shift that uh, it's likely to happen in the next five, ten, fifteen mm-hmm. years or so.
0: Yeah, so it could be quite a nice seamless transition, or it could be this kind of big coming together of, uh, and uh, being a big problem um, and it seems like you kind of have a good idea of how we can mitigate some of those things that you've uh, looked at as being uh, possible problems with um, and you were saying the um, upskilling and life learning and um, the work, the companies having more of a kind of societal um, view and, and the government's doing mm. some more in the education side of things. So it's it's almost like you've got the you feel like you have the answer
1: there well i mean i have got um, i've got i've got an opinion that means mm. that i don't get boxed into a corner too much and someone's going to take me to task in 15 yeah. years time but you know i on on uh, you know I'm, i know many people on different sides of the of this fence i'm, I'm carefully straddling right. um, yeah. I don't know if you've had um, for example Callum Chase on the on the podcast you know his, yeah. his view on this of course is is uh, a little different in terms of the possibility of significant Technological unemployability. Um, there's very interesting developments happening with um, the U.S. presidential race at the moment. With uh, Andrew Yang, the Democratic candidate, uh, is running on a basis of universal basic income, the freedom dividend. I think he calls it in his uh, mm. in, in his uh, campaign uh, messaging. Uh, so that's interesting to see how that might come through. And uh, I think there needs to be a lot more work and research around how do we. Ensure that the uh, the fruits of this uh, technological revolution are, are are shared equitably across the broadest cross section of society
0: yeah i mean there's there's a response that I have which is a personal response to that which is the the disassembling of capitalism right is is that there is you you alluded to it earlier that there are companies that will have more um, you know turnover than a, than a small country um, so in the face of that, um, let's let's say that I think that's a problem, uh, and not not everyone will agree with me there. But is there a sense that maybe we should do something about the infrastructure of how we run our society, is the the um, the commerce set, uh,
1: bit? I think um, I think change is, is, is absolutely necessary. Um, how that comes about and to what is the is the exam question here? Mm. So um, there's. Uh, there's a great guy who if you've not spoken to you should have on the podcast as well uh, John Havens who uh, is the executive director of the IEEE's um, AI ethics initiative I've and spoken to John actually yeah. John is great and, and uh, so and I'm, I'm on the industry committee of that it's been a great uh, coming together of people across the world to put mm-hmm. those principles in place uh, and um, he's he's very much uh, focused upon this whole um, beyond GDP initiative uh, mm-hmm. For that's been the the, the stark measure of human progress for, for, for many a generation now yeah. and uh, appears to be uh, ill-suited to where this now goes how do we ensure that uh, we have the right measures in place going forward that measure what he describes beautifully as human flourishing and uh, well-being and, and all those best indicators rather than purely the block of economic growth by by country
0: yeah.
1: and uh, there are a number of measures I think that, that are under investigation but it does require a Entire rewiring and of the focus upon corporate purpose and mm-hmm. and uh, and and I, I see some interesting early signs there uh, there's been some some really um, meaningful progress towards uh, uh, the interpretation and, and grasp of corporate responsibility um, in, embedding of purpose uh, societal impact of, of corporate behavior mm-hmm. um, very uh, admirable efforts by, for example, uh, Paul Pullman, the outgoing CEO of uh, Unilever, around this topic. Um, and many much of this, I think, actually, is driven by um, employees' demands. I think uh, the generation coming into the workforce now um, want to feel that the lofty values espoused by companies genuinely are mm. embedded, and there's tangible action being taken towards that. And, uh, you know, for example, we're very, very much... Uh, focused upon carbon neutrality and, uh, and, you know, circular economy behavior mm-hmm. of our organizations around the world. Uh, our staff certainly expect that to take place now. So the, the signs, but it, this is such a, a, a rapid technological shift, isn't it? Uh, mm. it could come at us quite fast. So yeah. uh, there is a need to focus minds on this. And I think this, for me, this is why, uh, I mean, uh, great, hopefully your podcast reaches a quite broad cross section of, of an audience. Uh, and for me, um, the opportunity to get this conversation out of the technology community or um, these kind of niche, narrowly focused uh, fora into a mainstream conversation that is not just about frightening people with pictures of Terminator yeah. on the front pages of newspapers. Constantly.
0: It's like a drinking game. You know, every time you see Terminator or something like that in the news, it's like, oh, Absolutely I'm right. Drunk. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um,
0: yeah it's, it's embarrassing, isn't it? Would you like to talk about anything else specifically? Um, yeah,
1: yeah. There's, there's one area I think I'm quite excited about. So for the, um, for the, for the past um, three years, we've been the, uh, the founding uh, corporate partner of uh, what's been called the AI for Good Global Summit, which has been based at the, the UN in Geneva. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really uh, the, the opportunity to start looking at how AI can be harnessed to help us accelerate progress towards achieving the Sustainable Development Goals is, is absolutely now... A, a hot area, we've seen some great applications there in terms of uh, climate change, we've done a number of reports on that, happy to share some of our mm-hmm. work on that. So, um, marrying up this technology to solve grand challenges I think is massively exciting, it empowers the staff, it really wins hearts and minds over and we think can lead to some tangible progress mm-hmm. to move this, with the dial on this as well. So yeah, the AI for good agenda is really exciting. Mm-hmm. For me, I mean I think overall, um, Uh, I'm I'm much more excited about the 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 use cases they probably require a bit of explaining they're not ones that jump out on the headline but the ones that uh, when you sit down and work through step-by-step and demonstrate the value they add are phenomenally valuable Um, you know we're doing a lot of work around uh, uh, workforce well-being making sure the right people are doing the right jobs at the right time that suits their interests it means that their travels reduced and our carbon footprint Mm -hmm. is increased but they're not stories that jump off the front page of the uh, the top uh, tech publications. Yeah. <laughs> Explain a lot of do a lot of explaining for quite some time. So yeah, the ones that I think are solving proper hard business problems, mm. um, and uh, and leading to tangible benefits, and uh, and a societal good, yeah. are the ones that get me out of bed in the morning.
0: Nice. And and those are sorts of things that you can communicate. You know, in your in your work as well. To hopefully, if we keep communicating the good side of things, that. We'll, the
1: more good will come back, to. And, and I think it inspires the next generation of people to want to come into this profession. It's yeah. red hot. It's, it's uh, you know we're hiring people hand over fist. We've just taken on um, in the UK 110 school leavers who are fully funding through um, university to build our AI workforce in the future. So uh, hopefully in four years' time, they'll come out with no debt, uh, work experience, and uh, some terrific skills to get straight stuck into some of these interesting projects. Yeah. Um. And uh, and uh, you know how we how we sort of demonstrate what they could put their skills towards. I mm. think is a really important selling point for for business. Yeah.
0: Great. Where were you? Uh, Ten and a bit years
1: ago. was well, I. Fourteen
0: years ago. Fifteen. Yeah. Fifteen. Where were you? Fifteen years ago. Fifteen years ago. God. Look, uh, uh,
1: yeah. I, mean, I had A fairly long circuitous uh, career path to end up here. Actually. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean,
0: like yeah. PwC with that sort of. Um, You know, offer, you know, taking, taking, um, you know, when I went for university or whatever. Oh, I would
1: have bit the hand off if, uh, you could, uh, you know, put me through university, uh, you know, fully funded with no debt at the end of it, some work experience, uh, job offer great in the hottest area in in the job market. It's it's a no brainer. Yes, you did, um,
0: do you, you did microbiology right
1: yeah yes yeah. <laughs> testing the brain it sounds sounds a little interesting bit though of it. it was yeah, kind of interesting yeah. It was more looking at the uh, the most horrific of uh, tropical medical diseases basically right. so uh, that was quite interesting but uh, do, do
0: you think you've could I mean that's I feel like it's quite uh, scientific so it must have led to you know what you do now a little bit you know possibly more I mean understanding m- maybe
1: yeah um, but um, I, I think uh, Having had a career much more focused on like the, the, the people agenda, mm-hmm. and that, that's swayed me more towards that than the technology if I'm being candid.
0: Yeah. Um, so we're getting towards the end. There's a question I always ask uh, at the end of the podcast, which is um, probably somewhat already answered through our conversation. Um, but it's what excites you about AI and the future? And what is it something that scares you about that as well?
1: Well, I mean, let, let, let's let's uh, let's let uh, let's shoot down this uh, the, the fear one first of all, shall mm-hmm. we? Um, I, I don't think AI scares me. Um, what I think um, is really important that we get our act together with at the moment is um, the appreciation that yes, there's some remarkably complicated, long range uh, issues that uh, some of the greatest minds are wrestling with with regards to existential risk, the implications of artificial general intelligence and the singularity and AI safety and mm-hmm. maintaining you know the issue on runaway intelligence. Brilliant, fascinating stuff I love reading about. Um, with regards to how that matters to life today and business in society right now, um, I, I think it's well serviced, it's got good funding, it can continue on mm-hmm. but for me it, it's much more important to appreciate and demonstrate and illustrate people at, you know in the society at large, this is here. It's already having profound impacts on people's lives, whether it's in democracy or in their choices as consumers and citizens or in criminal justice or healthcare, mm-hmm. uh, it's here, it's happening, it's making uh, a profound impact today, and therefore everyone has to now start being brought up to speed about this, participating in shaping how this is being evolved, how it's governed, the standards around it, mm-hmm. and most importantly, is uh, providing access to the most diverse array of people possible to create AI that's fit for purpose for everybody uh, in a positive way. So there's a little bit of kind of like, you know, let's just separate out the strands here of the the longer range, fascinating stuff with today um, and next year uh, and getting our act together around that now. So, uh, so, so, and part of that is, is uh, dispelling the fear. Uh, and giving people positive confidence that this tech is wonderful if it's scrutinized and governed and trained and inspected and uh, and harnessed the right way. Yeah. It can solve amazingly positive things. Uh, and just to finish on that positive mm. note, the, one of the things that uh, personally keeps me engaged in this is um, the sorts of problems it's now able to start solving. Uh, so several years ago, I, uh, I lost my very inspirational mother to... Uh, one of the worst diseases possible, which is motor neurone disease, it's the mm-hmm. terminal debilitating illness, which is absolutely horrendous. And um, the chink of light in this is that um, already there's a uh, British based AI company, Benevolent AI, you might have heard mm-hmm. of them, um, yeah. run by Baroness Shields, you might, you might recall seeing her mm-hmm. speaking, that, that they've already started making progress with their machine learning to start um, uh, you know, ingesting clinical studies at scale, uh, using that to identify potential new novel uh, treatment regimens and compounds. Mm. So in drug discovery is really interesting around this field. Um, they can accelerate drug research, you know, at a significantly swifter factor than uh, standard mm. human research can do. So augmenting the experts in that field to start solving really important problems that improve our lives in life. And, yeah. uh, and, you know, rare diseases is, is one particular intractable problem that the system doesn't yet economically sustain and support the research into. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, for me, it's less about how do we use this to sell more advertising and how do we harness it and hook it up and start applying it to the most important problems facing us as a society at large.
0: Yeah. And we should be pointing ourselves in that direction. I think so. Yeah. Well, Rob, thank you um, for this fascinating uh, talking for your time today.
1: It's been a bit of pleasure. Thanks for having me on.
0: Hi, and welcome to the end of the podcast. Thanks again to Rob for finding time for me and his schedule. I think he's often out of the country, so he had to slot me in two months in advance, I think it was. I think there's lots of subjects I could have pressed Rob further on. I think maybe one of the things they asked about working with dubious companies, companies that maybe are optimising for things which are... Uh, bad intentions or things which are more capitalist maybe in their in the way of um, looking at optimizing money over maybe social good, that sort of thing. I think we could have spent more time on that and I think we could have also spent more time on um, universal basic incomes or what, what future jobs might look like indeed. But these things are all kind of hard to grapple with and we only had so much time unfortunately. So, so hopefully I'll find Rob in the future and tackle some of these things. If you'd like to hear more of my thoughts on this podcast and some of the other news from the month in AI, then go to the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Machine Ethics. And thanks again for listening. And please rate us and review on iTunes and wherever else you get your podcasts. And hopefully see you again.